Out of all the five boroughs in New York City, the Bronx is often not the first to come to mind for visitors to the Big Apple. Manhattan is typically the big draw, with places like the Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty getting a whole lot of love. But the Bronx has a lot to offer tourists since locals alike. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. A new guidebook spotlights a wide variety of cultural and historical attractions in the Bronx. It's called The Bronx, The Ultimate Guide to New York City's Beautiful Borough. And it's written by Bronx Borough historian and Fairleigh Dickinson University history professor Lloyd Altan and former university professor Shelley Olson. Lloyd is a return guest on Cityscape. Lloyd, welcome back. I'm always happy to be here. Shelley, so glad to have you here. Thanks for inviting us. So how did the two of you team up to put this book together? Well, this is an interesting, uh, interesting story. Uh, I always had in the back of my mind that we needed a guidebook to the Bronx because the city guidebooks really don't have much, if anything, about the Bronx at all in them. But I never had the opportunity to do it. I was on a bus uh, on my way to the Bronx County Historical Society to do some research, and suddenly uh, this woman comes over to me and looks down at my face and says, excuse me, are you Lloyd Altan? And I said, I plead guilty. And uh, she immediately whipped out a cell phone, called her husband and said, I found him. (laughs) He's here on the bus with me. And basically that was Shelley. And, uh, you know, basically the the idea for this particular book comes from Shelley. So if you can tell her. Yeah, go ahead, Shelley. What prompted the idea? Well, I really am a great lover of New York City. But originally my New York City, like the one million visitors who come every week here was very much centered around midtown Manhattan. And at some point, I decided that I wanted my New York to be a five-borough city, which it really is. And so I started really looking around a lot for a good guidebook on the Bronx, and there wasn't one. So you know, I, I that led me to Lloyd Altan's books. He had written about, um, you know, nine or ten books. And I started reading them with great interest. And my friends then started saying to me, well, Shelley, why don't you write a guidebook? And I said, well, I don't, maybe I could write something that might be good, perhaps, but I never could do a great one unless I really have a collaborator, maybe with Professor Olton, which was my big dream. So when I saw him on the bus after reading several of his books, I was elated. And uh, we began talking. And um, several months later, we started our collaboration. Where are you from, Shelley? I was born in Sacramento, California. I grew up in Western Massachusetts and attended an international boarding school where I started traveling around the world. So actually, by the time I was 18 years old, I'd been in 33 countries. Wow. So I'm a big traveler, and I never stopped. And with the Bronx Project, uh, I approached it like going to a foreign country in a way. It was really lots of fun. Where are you living now? Right now, I'm living in the Bronx. What brought you to the Bronx? Well, I had had funding to come up to New York City for one year as a woman composer. And so I was living on the Upper West Side and uh, doing some work at Juilliard. And I just loved New York and asked my husband if I could find some place that was affordable, if we could actually try to buy an apartment here and have a second home in New York. So my husband said, good luck. That was about seven (laughs) years ago at the top of the real estate boom. And I kept going further and further up Broadway on the number one train until I finally went over 
the border and into Bronx. And I noticed that there were beautiful buildings here that were more affordable. So I ended up buying an apartment just off Broadway and 231st Street in the Bronx. What has surprised you most about this borough? Well, I guess I, like other people, had some kind of amorphous feelings about the Bronx without really knowing much about it. And what surprised me the most was how green and how beautiful the Bronx is, how I could get so close to nature with Van Cortlandt Park, Wave Hill, Pelham Bay Park, and all of the other lovely areas like the zoo, the botanical gardens, and so much more. Later on, with Lloyd's books, I started discovering the art and architecture, and that was a big surprise, too. Lloyd, the Bronx has more parkland than any other borough in New York City, right? Uh, Definitely in percentages, 25% of the landmass of the Bronx is parkland. Shelley, you mentioned Van Cortlandt Park. There are other parks in New York City. They are included in this book. Well, there are other parks uh, that are included in the book that are in the the Bronx, including uh, the two largest parks in the Bronx, uh, Pelham Bay Park, which is the largest park in New York City, over 1,700 acres in, in area, and uh, Van Cortlandt Park, which is the second largest park in the Bronx and the third largest park in New York City. And the the interesting thing, of course, is that in almost every neighborhood that you go, you, you, you bump into a park. Uh, it's always there, and so there's always opportunity for people who live in the Bronx or to visit the Bronx to uh, sit and relax uh, in, in the course of their exertions. Lots of opportunity for passive and also active recreation. Right. You can hike. In the Bronx. Oh, yes. And the uh, what we have in the book are walking tours of uh, different neighborhoods. So if you're going to hike <laughs> around neighborhoods, at least you have an idea of what you're looking at and why it's there in the background for them. But if you are interested in nature, which Shelley is uh, mostly interested in, you have several nature trails in both Van Cortlandt Park and in Pelham Bay Park. You have natural wildlife areas. I know that I was in Pelham Bay Park and I was able to see a snowy egret, a blue heron, and uh, two wild turkeys, and that's not the kind that you find in a bottle. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, um, you can appreciate nature in the middle of a highly urbanized area. The Bronx has 1.4 million people, and um, there are apartment houses and single-family homes and anything in between as well, and yet you have this wonderful opportunity to escape from it all with just a few steps away. Shelley, what is your favorite place to take in nature in the Bronx? That's a hard question. I mean, as I wrote about the various places and did the photography for for the book, I really fell in love with every area. But initially, I've got to say, um, probably Wave Hill. Wave Hill is in Riverdale, we should point out. Right. Wave Hill is in Riverdale, um, just overlooking the Hudson River. And it's quite easy, actually, to get there. We have the transportation and everything in our book. And it was walking distance of my new home. So that won my heart right away. You include a whole walking tour of Riverdale in this book. You also include a walking tour of Mott Haven. Right. And Mott Haven actually, for me, was an interesting place to discover in this book. First of all, I didn't know why Mott Haven was called Mott Haven, but now I do, Lloyd. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's named after Jordan L. Mott, who was a, uh, 
uh, has several distinctions. Uh, he is a guy who invented the coal-burning stove, which in the 19th century was a major advance over the wood-burning stoves that had existed before. And he was considered a major inventor in the United States. As a matter of fact, there does exist a group portrait done in the 19th century of major inventors. And Jordan L. Mott is right smack in the middle of, the, uh, of that group portrait. Uh, he purchased uh, uh, the property from the Morris family that owned a much larger tract of land called Morrisania. Uh, and he decided to name... Uh, his the area that he purchased, uh, Mott Haven. And when Gouverneur Morris II, who had sold him the property, found out that he had changed the name to Mott Haven, he said, well, Jordan L. Mott is now calling it Mott Haven. I suppose the next thing he's going to do is change the name of the Harlem River to the Jordan. But uh, Jordan L. Mott uh, had the idea of establishing what we would today call an industrial park. Uh, he wanted to attract industry there. He put his own iron foundry there. And uh, with that, there were attracted uh, workers and other people there to, uh, so you now have a whole residential area. And the interesting thing about Mott Haven is it still has traces of all of its past. Really? Yes. Uh, the buildings for the Mott Ironworks, although it's not used for ironworks anymore, are still there and incised in the back on, you know, with raised brick. The name J.L. Mott Ironworks, mm. if you know where to look, and we sell you where to look in the book. And uh, you find uh, some very elegant townhouses in Mott Haven. There are three Historic districts declared by the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission with, uh, you know, beautiful 19th century architecture from that was designed for people who had wealth, be the Irish or Germans who came in in the 19th century. Today, you have uh, a large admixture of Latinos, originally Puerto Ricans and now increasingly Mexicans in that area. And so you, you have... Elements of that, like a uh, housing uh, development called Plaza Boraquen. Uh, and Boraquen, of course, is uh, taken from the uh, early name for Puerto Rico. So if you go around there, you find elements of the past. And, of course, one of the places that we point out in that Mott Haven tour is the final resting place of two of the nation's founding fathers, St. Anne's Episcopal Church, which was built by Gouverneur Morris II, uh, to honor his family, to be their resting place. And uh, members of the Morris family uh, in the 18th century had a very prominent place. One of the people who's buried there is Lewis Morris, L-E-W-I-S, Lewis Morris, who did nothing in his life but signed the Declaration of Independence. Hmm. And um, his half-brother, Gouverneur Morris II's father, uh, Gouverneur Morris, who was one of the principal framers of the Constitution of the United States, and in fact is the person who was given the the task of taking all the scattered resolutions of the continental of the uh, constitutional convention and putting it into some sort of literary form so the constitution of the united states is actually written in Gouverneur Morris's style of writing, and he is called the penman of the Constitution. Wow, and they are interred right here in the Bronx. In, in the Bronx, in, in Mott Haven, in St. Anne's Episcopal Church, and it's on that walking tour in the, uh, called Marvelous Mott Haven in the, uh, in the book. I'm sure for a lot of people, the Bronx might not be the first place that comes to mind when it comes to the Revolutionary War, that mm -hmm. part of American history, but the borough does indeed have a very interesting history when it comes to the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Well, there are, there are, for instance, two uh, historic houses 
that have survived the American Revolution. The oldest one in the Bronx is in Van Cortlandt Park called the Van Cortlandt House. And George Washington uh, slept there three times in the course of the American Revolution. And uh, the British general, Sir William Howe, slept there once. Um, I guess we won three to one. Uh, (laughs) uh, There is also the Valentine Varian House, which is operated by the Bronx County Historical Society as the Museum of Bronx History, which was built in 1758, uh, 10 years after the Van Cortlandt House, and it survived six battles during the American Revolution. Two of the nation's founding fathers buried at a Bronx church, but we have to talk about another place where there are many, many notables buried, and that is Woodlawn Cemetery, Shelley. Okay, yes, Woodlawn Cemetery um, was constructed during the Civil War, and it has a marvelous history, as well as being a, a place of great natural beauty. Some of the most important sculptors that we can find, for example, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, have done marvelous funerary sculptures in Woodlawn Cemetery. And there's also a, a beautiful little lake there where I, I myself just love to picnic. So there, were, it was built as a park cemetery, and it's a natural wildlife, uh, natural bird sanctuary, actually. So if a person wants to go on a very tranquil walk and be surrounded by wonderful art and wonderful nature and an absolutely calm and peaceful surrounding, Woodlawn is a terrific place to go. And of course, you know, it's a real lesson in history because um, everyone from Herman Melville is buried there to uh, many of the jazz greats. Duke Ellington is buried there. Duke Ellington is buried there. And in addition to that, Woodlawn has concerts which are free and open to the public. And um, sometimes there are literary uh, persons who come and give talks. So it's a cultural destination as well as a historical and natural one. But you also have two uh, composers who are nationally uh, recognized. The only two composers, each of which got the Congressional Medal of Honor. This is because the it was before the Medal of Freedom. Uh, had been uh, created. Uh, One was George M. Cohan, and the other is Irving Berlin. Uh, So they're both there. You have some of the great uh, robber barons of the 19th century uh, there, uh, Collis P. Huntington, who uh, was one of the builders of the Transcontinental Railroad, who had the task of bribing Congress, and he did a fantastic job in doing that. Uh, 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 You have Jay Gould, who was reviled for all of his uh, sharp tactics, but he has a uh, he has a mausoleum that resembles the Parthenon in Athens. You have uh, 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 some of the heroes of the Civil War, and that includes David Farragut, uh, who was the hero of the Battle of Mobile Bay, who became later the first admiral in the United States. And the interesting thing about that is that when he died in 1870, his very good friend, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, followed the funeral cortege all the way to the burial in the cemetery, at that time, Ulysses S. Grant was the president of the United States, and accompanying him was the vice president and every single member of the cabinet. And to this day, Farragut's funeral is the only one where the president, the vice president, and every member of the cabinet attended. Huh. And that put Woodlawn on the map, and that became you know, the place where everybody would come. Most people don't know that throughout the 19th century and the 20th century, some very famous people 
have been interred in Woodlawn Cemetery. Uh, uh, Celia Cruz, for instance, the Queen of Salsa, mm-hmm. uh, is buried there, but also Robert Moses, uh, who is uh, the man know, a lot of people love to hate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did, he did quite a lot uh, for the city, but then again, he also did some things that were not as as good. But he is in Woodlawn Cemetery as well. So you have uh, you know a lot of people to do and a lot to, to see and a lot of people to explore, as well as the nature and the sculpture that are there. And uh, Woodlawn Cemetery does provide maps, and they they also have an audio tour that you can uh, hire from them, and you could go around for about an hour or so, and they tell you you know where to go, and uh, you could find out quite a lot just by on your own at Woodlawn Cemetery. A lot of people who come to New York City come here to take in museums, but they typically go to places like the Museum of Natural History and the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Guggenheim, all in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. But your book tells us that there are many museums to explore in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. There are, and I, I, I try to shock people by saying, how many of you know that in the Bronx there is a museum of Greek Etruscan and Roman art. And they say, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it is right here on the campus of Fordham University. And the um, it is exquisite. Uh, it was a private collect- collection of a fellow by the name of Walsh who had uh, graduated from Fordham University, made a fortune in California real estate, paid half the cost of building a new library, and then later uh, donated his entire collection of uh, Greek, Etruscan, and Roman art to be a uh, museum in the library, and it is open to the public, and it is free, and it is spectacular. The Bronx has its own art museum, the Bronx Museum of the Arts, and uh, starting later this year, it will host the first exhibit of modern Cuban art coming from the island of Cuba. In Throg's Neck, uh, there is the Museum of the Maritime Industry that contains exhibits about the history of uh, the maritime industry, which was very important to the building of New York. There is the Museum of Bronx History, uh, which uh, is in the Valentine Varian House, which contains uh, permanent and changing exhibits about the history of the Bronx. And most people don't know what a wealth of history the Bronx has, and there's an opportunity to have it. There are many other places in art, history, science that uh, people can find out in the Bronx that are here, and all they have to do is just pick up the book and they look and it's there. Wave Hill also has a beautiful art gallery on its campus, which is, you know, open with the prices just of, of, of admission to Wave Hill, and Wave Hill is twice each week also. It's free and open to the public without admission. On Saturday mornings, children and their family members are also invited to create art at Wave Hill. There's a family art project that happens every Saturday morning that's pretty exciting. Um, You know, it's mostly oriented around children, but art teachers come up also, and anyone can just have a sketch pad and paints and go out and Depending on what the theme is of the day, you know, you may be painting flowers or you may be painting the Palisades or whatever it is. It's really terrific. I don't know how many people know that the Bronx has the Hall of Fame for Great Americans. I don't think many people do know that. Right. And it is the very first Hall of Fame of any kind in the United States. And where is it based? It's, it's, it's on the campus of Bronx Community College. And it, the uh, the buildings uh, that uh, you know in, in which it is uh, located were designed by Stanford White, 
uh, who was the major American architect of the day. And it contains the uh, the portrait busts of the people who were elected to the Hall of Fame, and they come from many different walks of life. Uh, they are inventors, scientists, uh, statesmen, educators, uh, uh, military men, uh, literary people, artists. And uh, the artwork, the busts, are actually uh, designed by some of the leading American sculptors, people like uh, Daniel Chester French or Frederick McMoney's or even uh, uh, August St. Gordon's or uh, uh, Bell Kinney or uh, many, many, many others. You have, uh, in addition to that, in around the county building, uh, the Bronx County building on 161st Street in the Grand Concourse in uh, Joyce Kilmer Park. You have a fountain there that honors uh, Heinrich Heine, who is a German poet of the 19th century who wrote the most beloved poem in Germany uh, called Die Lorelei. And uh, the it was a fountain uh, that was uh, th- that illustrates uh, the Lorelei, who was supposedly a siren, who sat on a crag of rock overlooking the Rhine River, singing her beautiful song, luring sailors to crash on the rock to their death. And this is the most beloved poem in Germany. The uh, uh, but actually the the language in which it is uh, in, in which it is written is very musical. And when you consider that the German can be a very guttural language, mm-hmm. uh, it is almost a revelation. It doesn't sound German. But the fountain was commissioned by the Empress Elizabeth of Austria, who was the uh, the wife of the Emperor Franz Joseph, to be in Dusseldorf, Heine's birthplace. But there was rising anti-Semitism in Germany at the time, and they refused it because uh, Heinrich Heine was born Jewish. But there was a large German-American community in New York City, and they had planned to put a statue, uh, you know, where the General Sherman statue is today on 57th Street and 5th Avenue near the entrance to Central Park. And they said, if you don't want it, we'll take it. Hmm. So it was shipped over to to New York. They uncrated it, and at the base of the statue are three bare-breasted mermaids. And remember, this is the Victorian age, and they looked at it and they said, oh, this is terrible. We can't have that. But at that time, there was also the plans for the building of the Grand Concourse in the Bronx, which is designed after the Champs-Élysées in Paris. And at 161st Street, there were plans to put a fountain. And the early drawings show a generic fountain at that site. Well, now here is a fountain that is now suddenly free and available honoring a major German poet, and at that time, that particular area of the Bronx was a heavily German neighborhood. So it was a win-win situation. So they said, you don't want it, we'll take it. It was installed in there and is there ever since. And then around the county building, when it was built uh, in the late 1920s and early 1930s, they hired some of the nation's leading sculptors to uh, sculpt high-relief figures that flank the entrances to the four sides of the building under the leadership of Adolf Weinman. There were three other sculptors that carved these uh, these allegorical figures. And then on the building itself, on the third floor, there is a uh, barberly frieze all around the building that was done by uh, uh, Charles Keck, 
who was a leading sculptor of the day. And if you walk into the building in what is called Veterans Memorial Hall, there are four large murals that depict different incidents in the history of the Bronx, all done by James Monroe Hewlett, who was the leading muralist of the day. And after he finished that job, he became the director of the American Academy in Rome. And if you go further down to 149th Street uh, and go into the post office that is located there, the Bronx General Post Office, into the lobby, you will find uh, murals done by Ben Shawn, who is a major American artist. And since this was a Depression-era structure, it depicts what the artists of the Depression always depicted in those days, uh, people happily working. (laughs) Uh, And um, so you could could go uh, in the Bronx. You don't have to spend a penny. And you see all this public art on display. And while you're in the area of the Grand Concourse, Shelley, you should check out all of the great Art Deco architecture. Absolutely. We have a walking tour in the book uh, of Art Deco architecture that goes down um, that area um, from about 167th Street down to the county building. And, you know, one thing that really surprised and delighted me when I did come to the Bronx with the art scene was how it was integrated into the open air. I mean, for example, if if a person is going to the Hall of Fame, there are about 100, over 100 wonderful, wonderful sculptural busts. And they have trees and birdsong behind them, and they're free of charge. And they're by just some of the leading sculptors of America. And it's just, it's a marvelous thing to just be able to walk calmly when everyone wants no real open or closed hours, except when the campus is open and closed. I just find the art scene of the Bronx very user-friendly and also actually very inspiring to create oneself. Um, That was one of the things that I really, really was delighted to discover about the Bronx, that there really is a pretty active literary, poetic, and painting scene going on. It's more quiet, you know, than in other areas of New York City. But, you know, I find that when I walk through the, the Hall of Fame, I'm inspired to write a poem, for example. Or if I'm going to the Bronx County Building, just walking around, and, and th- I think of government in a different way when I read the inspiring um, phrases on the side of the building and I see these marvelous sculptures. You know, I just, I, I, you know, I, the, the boundaries seem to meld a little bit here in the Bronx. And I, I personally find it pretty inspiring, which is one of the base things that I, I, I love about the Bronx. There's a kind of tolerance and an integration, a, a tolerance religiously in terms of ethnic diversity, a tolerance and integration in terms of art and nature that you rarely see in other areas I I find it pretty inspiring. How diverse is the Bronx in terms of population, Lloyd? The way I usually phrase it is uh, the Bronx has residents from every continent on the face of the earth. And if you count the penguins in the Bronx Zoo, that includes Antarctica. (laughs) (laughs) You were born, raised, you still live in the Bronx. That's right. That's right. Your guidebook includes recommendations for places to stay in the Mm -hmm. Bronx. You can stay in the Bronx. There are hotels here in the Bronx, folks, Mm -hmm. right, Shelley? Well, there's the Opera House Hotel, for example, which has a kind of interesting history. 
back to vaudeville days, and it's been recently rehabbed and has posters of the epic. And, um, you know, Lloyd can tell a little bit more about who actually performed there. But um, there definitely there are several hotels that have opened up, that are opening now. They're just very uh, com- completely new ho- hotels. And so we list some of those places, you know, where one can stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, the interesting thing is that, in a sense, uh, whenever you write a guidebook for something that is so uh, rapidly developing as the Bronx, almost the moment you you put down the pen, it's 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 obsolete, because since we've written this book, another hotel has opened up, and there is another hotel that is under construction that will be opening up in a few months, and there's another hotel that uh, two other hotels that are slated. Uh, to open up. So the uh, there are opportunities for people to, out-of-town visitors, to actually stay in the Bronx. And the interesting thing is that, generally speaking, uh, the hotels in the Bronx are less expensive than the hotels in Manhattan. Uh, and the uh, because uh, the Bronx has such an excellent network of public transportation, subways and buses, if they want to see the rest of the Bronx, of course, they're closer than they would be in Manhattan. But also, if they want to visit that other place called Manhattan, (laughs) uh, they can just get on the subway and and go down there, and they're only 15 minutes away from midtown Manhattan. What do you think the development of these new hotels, Lloyd, says about the state of the Bronx today? I think it says about the the state of the Bronx that it is wholesome. Also, uh, a little uh, easier on my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd, thank you so much. And my, my pleasure. Shelley, thank you. Thank you for having us. Lloyd Ultan and Shelley Olson wrote The Bronx, The Ultimate Guide to New York City's Beautiful Borough. It's out now from Rutgers University Press. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter for show updates and New York City tidbits. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producers Taylor Nolk and Claire Drake. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.